0: Welcome to Nightmares and Grief, a place to explore and celebrate the darkness. Each episode, I'll read stories written by me, Derek Heisey. Today's episode is part two of a three-part series. Tune in next week for part three. If you missed part one, check the link below to get caught up. I'll be here when you get back. Now, settle in, check under the bed, and pour a drink for the skeletons in your closet. It's time to start. Venus in Running Shorts Gavin almost fell off the couch when he woke up. Malvin, who... Gavin could have sworn he'd seen sitting cross legged on the floor on the other side of the apartment was there to stop him from rolling off the edge. Melvin's thinning orange hair was a mess, drooping from his scalp at all angles, wet and heavy with sweat. Gavin trembled when he thought about meeting Melvin's eyes, but he did it anyway. The man's face was stern. Lined with quiet, dismayed fury, but the storm that he'd seen in the blue eyes before was gone. They were clear and perfect and tranquil as spring pools now. What happened? You passed out. He stood in the kitchen, taking out a bottle of whiskey and pouring it into a squat glass. He downed the whole thing in an instant and poured another one. The only light in the apartment came from the fluorescent tube above the sink that harshly illuminated the smoke spreading in languid tentacles from his cigarette. Melvin's eyebrows were raised in that wide arch which indicated disappointment and frustration. He reminded Gavin of his father. If I hadn't been there, you would have woken up just now on the pavement. He gulped down another drink. He hadn't looked at Gavin since he stopped him from rolling off the couch. He ran a hand through his hair, though it didn't make it look much less disheveled. What would you do? Now Melvin looked at him. With the squat whiskey glass halfway to his lips, he shot an ugly glare across the room. Melvin set the glass down, put the cigarette back in his mouth, and said, "'I got you home. I got you home safe.' Gavin trembled again. "'Before that, what would you do with the girl?' Melvin extended his arms wide and cast a broad, sardonic smile across his face. "'Why? What would I do? What do you think I'm capable of?' Gavin didn't say anything. He looked away. Melvin pointed at him with the hand holding the glass and shot smoke toward the ceiling. That's right. That's right. You don't know. You don't know what I can do. (laughs) The pressure that Gavin always felt when he was watching rose now in his chest. He'd been gritting his teeth and hadn't noticed until now. Sickness and desire intertwined inside him, each as indistinguishable from the other, each the beginning and the end of its own Ouroboros. It felt like something disastrous was going to happen and Gavin didn't know why, but he knew that the part of him he refused to see wanted a disaster. He thought about the woman. She and Melvin were part of this feeling, all of this feeling, grossly intertwined. One ate the other inside of him. The woman had seen Gavin and Melvin was... Gavin was on all fours, his head hanging to the floor. Melvin towered above him, sipping his whiskey. He wasn't wearing his suit jacket, and the crisp white of his shirt contrasted with the black vest he wore. Melvin put the whiskey down and rolled up his sleeves. Kneeling, he hooked a finger under Gavin's jaw and raised his head to look him in the eyes. The sharp, cold blue of Melvin's eyes darkened with a new storm, and that old, familiar pressure bloomed inside Gavin's chest once again. He reached a hand between his legs, and it was at the same time Melvin's hand, their cold hands slipped under the waistband of Gavin's jeans, stroking inches that seemed as if they were concrete fire. Gavin let out a whimper of fear, desire, pain, and pleasure, and watched the scene uncoil through the reflection in Melvin's dark pupils. He saw the woman there, and he saw himself, and he saw the terrible things that Melvin wanted. He opened his pants and moved with hungry fury until his entire body was rocked with lightning and he collapsed in the sticky, already cooling puddle of himself. Gavin lay there, neither asleep nor awake, until dawn. Gavin emerged from his state with a sharp mind and stretched his arms. The lines of everything were sharper, clearer. Before, he'd been a worm and had collapsed the previous night into chrysalis. He emerged now as a moth. The change was nearly imperceptible, like sand shifting with the tide at the bottom of the ocean floor. So imperceptible, in fact, that he hardly recognized it himself. But when he pulled into the parking lot and scanned for her truck... Gavin saw it glimmering in his heart. It was a faint recognition, like seeing a polished coin at the bottom of a murky well. But he saw it. He was now not looking for the presence of her truck, but rather its absence. The morning light was low in the sky and shone through a cottony layer of clouds, and the apartment complex was so tall that it cast a cool, heavy shadow over the expanse of black asphalt. He got out of his Sentra and scanned the cars submerged in the shadow. The purple truck was not there. He scaled the concrete steps with Melvin close behind. Since Gavin's awakening, Melvin hadn't said a word. He hadn't snorted any coke or eaten anything, nor even had he lit a single cigarette. He was clean and polished, his clothes pressed and perfect, his hair neatly combed. He was quiet and his face reserved. But his eyes and Gavin's eyes glinted with a predator's sparkle. When they got to her door, Gavin stepped aside and let Melvin do the work. He picked the lock, and when they were inside, Gavin breathed deep the woman's smell. He looked at the books scattered about. He inspected the novelty mugs that hung above the sink and poured some of her wine into one, taking a sip as he opened her refrigerator and went through her condiments. She liked mustard and hot sauce. A supreme pizza sat in the freezer next to a pint of ice cream, chocolate fudge with brownie bits. Her homework was still on the kitchen table, in front of the big picture window. Chemical reactions and molecular models were pictured beside the dense columns printed on the old weathered pages of the textbook, and equations were sprawled across the bright yellow legal pad beside it in pencil, the numbers smeared. She must be left-handed, Gavin thought, though he swore she'd used her right hand to hold her keys. Melvin picked up a pair of underwear on the floor and sniffed it. Grinning, he handed them to Gavin. They were black and lacy, with a little bow in the front, stained with the glistening scent of sweat and meat. He closed his eyes and clenched his fists around them and stuffed the underwear in his pocket. The apartment was small, but Gavin took his time around it The furniture didn't match, and though old, she clearly took very good care of it. There was no television, but there was a modest stereo on the floor in the corner of the living room. Gavin opened the rotating CD tray and didn't recognize any of the music. Judging by the band names, she was into some weird stuff. You notice yet? Melvin leaned against the bedroom threshold, his hands in his pockets, and a cigarette jutting lazily from his mouth. Gavin nodded. Yeah, no pictures. The walls were naked, colored in the sterile renter's white in which Gavin's own apartment was dressed. The bedroom walls suffered the same condition. There were no photos, no posters, no paintings, no clocks. He'd expected decorations, and aside from the small pot of pink geraniums next to the window, there were none... Gavin was pouring another mug of wine, so dry and almost black, when Melvin called to him. He went into the bedroom, where Melvin stood at the open door of the closet with a lascivious grin on his face. Cocking an eyebrow, he said, Check. It. Out. The closet was huge and full. The floor was lined with shoes of every style, and hanging from the racks was a greater variety of dresses than Gavin thought possible in a single place, ranging everywhere between simple cuts made to clutch the body and long, elegant things that sparkled even in dim light. There were corsets and gloves and chokers lined neatly along the shelf in the back, underneath the whips, paddles, and switches." Whoa. Melvin could hardly contain his glee. His skin brightened with electricity and his grin widened as if he were a naughty cartoon cat. This is great. This is just great. He scraped his cigarette out on the closet doorframe and spread his arms wide. What a fucking hypocrite calling you a pervert when she's got fuck dungeon dominatrix barbie's dress-up closet (laughs) wolves fought inside of gavin the old wolf the one that lived in him before his awakening battled against this new thing this fresh vicious newcomer the new wolf agreed with melvin and took vicious pleasure in the revelation while the old wolf faltered. The new one took the opportunity and struck. Melvin clapped a hand over Gavin's shoulder and squeezed. Don't fight it. He gazed into the closet with wicked satisfaction. He spun Gavin around to face him, keeping one hand on his shoulder while the other, with the cigarette between two fingers, cupped Gavin's face this is a gift. You've struck gold, Gav. This is a blank check. Melvin's eyes startled Gavin. For a moment, They seemed to flicker red, not just in the irises, but the entire eyeball. A flash flood of red blotted out the whites and the pupils, and then it was gone, and he was looking into the tranquil pools of perfect clear blue. Cocking an eyebrow, Melvin nodded. Gavin knew then what he was supposed to do. It was dark when she came home. The door made a sucking sort of slam when she closed it and her keys cursed when they landed onto the kitchen table. The few moments of long silence cracked open when the stereo played something soft and quiet. She came into the room and through the slats in the closet door, Gavin watched her. She wore a green polo and black slacks. She untied the black apron and tossed it onto the bed. Then she crossed her arms and pulled the shirt off, stretching her torso. Gavin's breath came hard and fast. It filled his ears and he worried she'd hear. Don't worry. She can't hear it over the music. Melvin sat in the back corner of the closet, twirling an unlit cigarette between his fingers. Gavin swallowed. She'd taken off her pants. Her underwear was white with printed pictures of kitten heads. Her bra, black with white polka dots, fell to the floor first. Her breasts were heavy and sagged pleasantly. Stretch marks pulled along the sides. The pressure rose in Gavin and he swallowed again. His saliva was thick and hot. His hands trembled. Melvin was behind him, his chin hovering just above Gavin's shoulder. Gavin didn't stop him when Melvin reached across his stomach and unbuttoned his pants. He didn't stop him when he spread Gavin's knees with both hands and touched him with something else. A third thing that didn't feel like a hand at all. Gavin looked down, but the pressure built in his chest was too much to cry out in surprise or to stop the long black tentacle that grasped him. Just watch. Melvin hissed. His, ear. his breath was smoke. Another tentacle slithered over Gavin's shoulder and pushed his eyes back to the woman. Gavin gave himself up and watched. He didn't groan in pleasure. He didn't sigh or grunt. But he was finished before she left the room. He ejected onto the carpet and the closet door and felt purged. He felt empty and ready to be filled again. It wasn't until Gavin heard the shower that he allowed himself a tiny moan. The rest of the evening was spent in quiet bliss. Gavin listened to her music as she did her homework. Heard the sound of pots and pans and cursing as dinner was cooked, and at the end, when she crawled into bed, watched her read for a while before watching her sleep. When he snuck out, the night was dead. He took her apartment key and didn't clean the spunk he'd left in the closet. In the Sentra, He felt a great and terrible euphoria, and when he stopped by the homeless man at the mouth of the freeway, he gave him a dollar. He slept well that night. Gavin woke up before his alarm clock with a smile. He was clear, clean, and refreshed. The early morning light, encased in that quality which accompanies every newborn son, trickled through the leaves of the tree beside his window. It was, for the first time in years, unfettered by the heavy black curtains he kept drawn over it. On a branch almost level with his face, he saw a bird feeding her fledglings, and even from this distance he could hear their young chirping. The day was fresh and lovely. He unrolled the yoga mat in his living room and did his morning calisthenics and then took a long, cold shower. It wasn't until he got dressed that he realized he hadn't seen Melvin all morning. The absence was concerning, but he didn't allow himself much time to worry about it. He'd gotten behind on work, so after a quick breakfast, chocolate protein shake with fruit, he sat on the couch, opened his laptop, and began He'd earned a bachelor's in computer science, and though he'd once worked toward a master's, the constant bouts of anxiety grew heavier and heavier on his shoulders. The relative anonymity of undergraduate classes made being in crowds, being seen, easier than the tight-knit cabals of graduate school. They got harder to deal with as he spent less time with friends, writing lines of code and picking up freelance jobs to pay for his burgeoning debt. He'd said he couldn't afford bars or camping trips, but the fact of the matter rest in the panic, like that of a wild bird in a too-small cage which beat against his chest over and over whenever he went out. He needed to study, he decided. He needed to study and focus on Courtney. She'd been the only person Gavin didn't feel trapped or inspected by. In his dorm, she'd spread out on his bed, on her stomach, and work on her homework or browse pictures of buildings on the internet. Courtney wanted to be an architect, but she was practical about it. She double majored in graphic design and took freelance jobs too, but more as a supplement than a lifeline. Brilliant as she was, college was paid for. Scholarships clambered over themselves to throw money at Courtney, and her approach to work was more like a hobby than actual labor. She was the one who'd gotten Gavin into running. Whenever his attacks got too bad, Courtney forced him into the ugly 24-hour gym in the dead of night and pushed him onto a treadmill where he forgot everything. He would run and run, seeing without sight, lost in the meditation of fast-pounding feet going nowhere and find himself moved in a circle, back in one piece with her, sweaty and smelly and perfectly all right. Her death threw Gavin into a pit. That was when Melvin appeared. Months after Courtney's funeral, Gavin finally emerged from his dorm, left campus as he hadn't done since he'd heard the news, and went to the gym. On the drive there, Gavin's guts had been tied into knot upon Gordian knot, and parking his car, he'd felt ill. Imagining Courtney was with him, imagining her stern reprieves, he was able to haul his feet inch by inch to the entrance a new person had taken over at the counter he was a young man with short curly hair and shoulders like a bomber's wingspan he barely glanced at gavin's card before returning to his magazine and gesturing him in the whirring fans and saccharine 80s pop did not retain its anticipated nostalgia The ugly black carpet, speckled with flecks of white, blue, and yellow, conjured a strange sense of deconstructed deja vu. Gavin nearly vomited when he saw the blue and purple-painted swerves of the kitschy jazz-wave design reflected in the mirror. In his head, he heard Courtney say, Get on that goddamn treadmill. So he did. Alone except for the attendant, Gavin ran and ran and ran, and the grief that had crystallized inside him disintegrated a little with every thump, 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 thump. Beside the treadmill, Melvin lit a cigarette. Gavin didn't think anything of him except to say between gasps, you can't smoke in here. Melvin flicked Ash onto the ugly carpet. I can do whatever I goddamn want. He took out a flask and took a quick drink then offered it to Gavin. Want some? Gavin looked away. <sighs> I, I don't drink. <sighs> Neither do I. Melvin took a long draught from the flask. As Gavin made more and more appearances at the gym, so too did Melvin. Just as Gavin hit his stride, Melvin would be there at the treadmill beside him, quick and obvious as a bolt of lightning, manifesting with a a plate of nachos or an opium pipe or slapping a pack of cigarettes against his wrist. And soon, Melvin was there in more places than just the gym. He'd appear in the plaza as Gavin walked to his dorm room or in the back of class throwing wadded balls of paper at the professor until at last he'd be in Gavin's passenger seat or spread out on his back across Gavin's bed. He was the one who'd convinced Gavin to drop out. You spend all your time on gigs instead of at class and you wouldn't need this fancy degree. What's it going to get you anyhow? "'A rank-and-file job at some sci-fi bad-guy corporation, "'wearing a tie and dealing with pickled visionaries "'who can't see over their dead dreams, "'bad marriages, and beige cubicles.' "'Melvin shook his head and chewed a mouthful of pizza. "'No, no, no. "'Courtney wouldn't want you shackled down with a... and a gig like that.' "'Whether it was true, "'or whether Gavin agreed with him was irrelevant.' It was the excuse Gavin had been looking for. The pressure of going and staying in class was still too much. His grades had plummeted. His friends had given up on him. Gavin decided there was nothing left for him here, which led him to the expensive couch in the middle of a nearly empty living room, where today he wrote line after line of uninspired code. Gavin worked for a few hours then sent a few emails to his clients He outlined his progress, asked for clarification on particulars, and responded to questions. He was done with all that he was going to do by noon. The emails were lies. He hadn't made any meaningful progress that day. The code he wrote came out like the last smear of toothpaste, and what he did make was full of errors. His thoughts kept drifting to the closet and to Melvin. Smoke stung his eyes, and Melvin was next to him, slouching on the couch with his suit unbuttoned. He didn't say a word. He just stared at the wall. One leg crossed over the other, a hand on his knee with a cigarette sticking out between the crotch of his fingers. Gavin closed his laptop and rubbed his face with both hands. Melvin brought the cigarette to his mouth, keeping perfectly immobile except for that motion. The dry tobacco hissed when he sucked in his cheeks. Gavin looked at him, hunched over his thighs, his hands clasped loosely in front of his face. What's happening to me? Melvin shot smoke to the ceiling. Get your camera. I want to show you something. Gavin put the Sentra in park. Okay, what? Melvin hadn't spoken for the entire drive over, and he still did not speak. Gavin waited for an answer for anything, but Melvin just tossed his spent cigarette out the window and lit another. Sighing, Gavin took his camera and looked. He almost vomited, hands shaking. The camera dropped to his lap and he turned. Something was different about Melvin. The the changes were tiny, nearly imperceptible. His skin was sallow. His eyes darker, tinged, almost purple, and little black marks like... Cracks peeked out from behind his starched white collar. Gavin remembered what he'd seen the night before. Those things that had touched him. What do you see? Gavin squeezed his eyes shut and tried to forget. Melvin asked it again. And peered at Gavin from the corner of his eyes. When he spoke, it was as if two voices spoke together, one being the sound of the man Gavin knew, the other being darker, brackish, and faint, as if even Melvin's words had a shadow. What did you see? Parts, Gavin sputtered. I saw parts. The answer clearly did not satisfy Melvin. Swallowing, Gavin raised the camera a second time. The people were distorted in a way that wasn't truly distortion. Sometimes their noses didn't look natural on their faces, but still seemed right. Legs didn't fit with the orderly frames he was accustomed to, but were out of place only by appearance. Everything was wrong, but only aesthetically. Otherwise, everything fit. The hands corresponded with the brow to form one woman with insecurities that she hid with haughtiness. On another, the hair that didn't seem to match with the Body matched the way she walked, keeping consistent with boldness. Over and over on every person was the inconsistency of shape consistent with the soul. All the parts that didn't fit were all familiar. He'd seen them before. He took the camera away from his eyes, and the people returned to their original states. Do you see? Gavin nodded. He saw. The closet had spoiled the parking lot. He could get nothing here ever again. Go back. The second night he followed her, Gavin watched from the centra through the long eye of the lens. The woman followed the same routine as she had before, drinking wine out of coffee mugs and working through textbooks strewn about her kitchen table. When she ate, it was instant ramen, and she leafed through the book, stopping only intermittently to shove noodles into her mouth. Melvin remarked on its lovely shape, and his crude choice of words was not lost on Gavin. About nine o'clock, she sat up from her work to answer her cell. She smiled, but Gavin had seen her smile before, and this one seemed contrived. He was reminded of representatives on the other end of tech support. The woman disappeared for a bit after she hung up, reappearing dressed only in a towel and only long enough to pour another mug of wine. When at last he saw her again, nearly an hour had passed and she had transformed. Emerging from the woman in running shorts and a sports bra was a classical beauty in a black dress, cut low on top and high at the bottom, strong legs supported by tall heels. Gavin zoomed in to see her black-painted toenails and the heavy pendant at the bottom of a silver chain that rested at the heart of her bosom. He felt the pressure build inside him. A Mustang, low and roaring with muscle, formed itself just in front of the curb. It hadn't come to a complete stop before its horn shrieked and the woman's door opened. She hurried down the steps as well as could be done in her shoes. Her face was flat with business airs until she reached the last portion of the stairs which happened to face the lot. And then the plastic call center smile spread across her face again. The car started moving before she'd even close the door. Gavin crept the centric toward the mouth of the parking lot The Mustang zoomed out, tearing into the busy road, and Gavin was behind it. Melvin snickered, pleased at the initiative. They drove out of that middle ground neighborhood, neither high nor low, and into the plush, clean world of Uptown. The Mustang slid into the lot of an Italian restaurant that Gavin had only heard about in pained at tones and always in conjunction with its prices. It was supposed to be classy, but Gavin didn't know. It seemed too nice, too orderly for him to be comfortable there. The Mustang slammed into a spot near the door and Gavin crawled around to the back and found a spot on the curb facing the window. It was busy inside. Waiters and waitresses moved from table to table, not quite hustling, but moving with directed, organized purpose. Melvin went through three cigarettes before they saw the woman, led by a waitress in a white blouse, to a table near the window in front of the centra. The man was handsome, and Gavin felt a green thing wrap around his throat. The jaw was strong, his brow high above his Roman nose, and Gavin could see the way his lean body moved beneath the light dress shirt he wore. The motions were deliberate, and though they seemed confident, it was in an eerie way. It was as if they were rehearsed, again and again by a poor actor trying to make up for his lack of skill with continued discipline. The saccharine smile was still spread across the woman's face, bright like strained bulbs, and it confused Gavin. Her body spoke with engagement, but having seen her in other surroundings, none of it seemed right to Gavin. She seemed to have the same problem that the man had. She seemed good at this role, and she seemed to have had a lot of practice, but it was all plastic packaging. When the wine came, the woman noticed Gavin. It was a chance glance at the window while her mouth broadened to laugh at something the man had said. Gavin saw that she saw because her eyes transformed from dull coal into glittering moonstones and the phony expressions of her contrived laugh was replaced by real amusement. Gavin could see it in the lines on her forehead and the twitch of her mouth, but she knew what she was doing, whatever that may be, and pivoted her head to stare back at the man. The motion was fluid, natural, but from that point on, the evening changed. She seemed to relax, to laugh easier and turn to the window more often when she did. Their food came, and Gavin's stomach opined. Melvin offered him some Funyuns from a bag he'd manifested, but Gavin refused. He'd had the food that Melvin had offered before, and tasted ugly and thin like ghosts and ash, and left his stomach sour. Melvin shrugged and stuck his hand in the bag for another helping. The woman twirled a heap of angel hair pasta onto her fork, and... Casting a sly, sidelong smile to the window, ate it slowly, using her tongue more than was necessary. Gavin couldn't help but grin, pursing his lips as he did to keep from laughing. The woman responded with a playfully arched eyebrow. Melvin shot Gavin an ugly look. The subvert, distant flirting continued through the evening. Gavin grew braver the more the woman did, and the more she did, the more the man caught on. Finally, when dessert came and she had turned her head to eat the cherry she'd plucked from the top of the sundae, he stood up, threw his napkin onto the table, and rifled through his wallet while he talked. His mouth moved quickly, contorting into raw shapes, and he spoke loud enough, apparently, to draw attention to their table. After he threw a wad of bills onto the table, he stormed out. The woman's downcast face reddened. The waiter collected the bills and seemed to console her. She refused something from him, and he nodded. She downed the remainder of her margarita, stood up, and left to the door closest to the window. Gavin still hadn't processed what was happening when she rapped on his window with the gemstone of her ring. She stood there, arms and face crossed impatiently while he floundered just before she turned away. He rolled down the window. What are you doing? Melvin snapped. Gavin ignored him and offered the woman his best attempt at a smile, but it felt awkward and twisted. He was too nervous to produce anything that felt more whole. Hi, Gav. We watch. I think you owe me a ride, the woman replied. Gavin nodded. That seems fair. During the strange pause that followed, Melvin grabbed Gavin's arm and snarled again. What are you doing? We watch. I want more, remember? Gavin answered as the woman moved around the front of the car. This isn't how we get it. But she opened the door, and Melvin was relegated to the back. He appeared there, his legs stretched across the spare seats as he leaned against the rear passenger door, his arms crossed and a cigarette fuming in his mouth. Gavin ignored him. The woman plopped in the passenger seat and sighed. With the same breath, she announced, I'm Charlotte. She extended her hand. Gavin squirmed. The bird trapped in his chest flapped wildly, and his breath quickened. He felt as if he were at the edge of something, teetering, but he swallowed, locked his eyes with hers, and though the sensation did not go away, it evaporated into mist, filling him not less, but more lightly. He grasped her hand, and they shook. Charlotte smiled. You never been as close to a woman before? Her words stabbed a little harder than they needed to. I have, Gavin replied. The words were tiny in his throat, so small he wasn't sure if he'd said them at all. You're shaking. That's why I asked. It made me wonder. In the light from the restaurant, with the short, dangling earrings and the brave expression, Gavin traced the line of her profile. You gonna drive? Gavin glanced away, occupying himself with the radio. I- I'm sorry, I'm I'm just not so good with people. In the back seat, Melvin barked. Yo, taxi, you heard the lady. Get moving. Gavin turned on the Sentra, cut it in reverse, and backed out of the space. He pulled out into the road and turned right. Charlotte cast him a strange, sidelong look. Melvin leaned forward and slapped Gavin's arm. How? How do you know the way? For a few moments, Gavin was confused. He'd been there. Of course he knew the way. You think that's going to help your chances? Her knowing you've been stalking her? I'm sorry. Am I going the right way? Yeah. Take a left at Washington. Do I need to take the freeway? No, not unless you prefer. The air in the car was thick. The woman was watching him. Charlotte was watching him. Gavin rolled down his window the summer air was cool and refreshing. It streamed through the stanza like clear water, washing through and cleaning it. The corner of Gavin's mouth twitched in a smile. What were you doing at the restaurant? The smile was gone, and Gavin glanced over to Charlotte. Her gaze was intent on the road ahead, and she showed no signs of granting any attention to Gavin. He opened and closed his mouth like a fish, too flummoxed to even to stammer. She closed her eyes, smirked and leaned her head against the seat. There was connection then, the sort of connection Gavin had heard rumor that ants had, a kind of telepathy insofar that ideas were exchanged and answers were given without any need for words. She understood why he was there at the restaurant and how he knew to make a left on Carlisle. The connection ended there. Gavin didn't know how she felt about it. She may be furious, frightened, or happy. He had no way of distinguishing one way or another how she felt Charlotte simply sat in the seat, eyes still closed and head still back, her face awash of any expression. This was a bad idea. Melvin spoke the words like prophecy. The rest of the drive was made in silence. Melvin smoked and sulked in the back seat, flicking his spent cigarette butts into Charlotte's hair while Charlotte watched the buildings as they passed, and Gavin gripped the steering wheel until his knuckles glowed white. He pulled up to the curve when he got to the apartment, so close, and let his head hang low from his shoulders. Charlotte didn't leave right away. She sat still, face cast still, in peaceful neutrality, and her eyes still closed until she opened them and turned them on to Gavin. I still don't know your name. Gavin didn't reply. She put two fingers under his chin and gently raised his face to hers. I'm not afraid of you. You're a weirdo pervert freak, but I'm not afraid. In her free hand, she raised a can of mace into view. You're built like Spartans in history books, but I'm not afraid of anyone. No amount of time at the gym gets a boy ready for a face full of pepper spray. She grinned in a strange way, both playful and mocking and sad all at once. Come on, I told you my name, it's only fair. Melvin's eyes seemed to be everywhere then, filling the world like smoke. Don't say a goddamn word. The words didn't exist like sound, but in some perfectly incorporeal, perfectly non-physical way, existing not in space or time, but in doctrine of natural law. It was not a command. It was a fact. Charlotte didn't wait much longer. The kind glow behind her clear gray eyes seemed to falter into a tiny sadness, and she nodded imperceptibly. She removed her fingers from his chin and opened the door. She went up the concrete steps to her apartment and went inside, and she did not look back once. As Gavin started the car, Melvin was back in the passenger seat as a normal, gaunt man in a normal gray suit, and the heat of Charlotte's touch had already begun to fade. Gavin went back to the apartment. He went earlier, having staked out the parking lot often enough to know Charlotte's schedule. Inside, he sat where she sat, listened to her music and read her books heated up some of her leftovers. It was fried rice. She wasn't a bad cook. Melvin continued his strange new habit of relative silence. He stalked close to Gavin, never farther than arm's length, and passively interacted with nearby objects. It was as if he were maintaining a purposeful disinterest as he picked up a book and leafed through it he didn't seem to care about anything gavin did but he was still here he was still close night fell when gavin put everything in order for the evening He put everything back as best he could, thumbing through the pages of a farewell to arms to put back to Charlotte's place and placing the book over the arm of the couch like he'd found it. He'd flicked off the lights and had opened the closet, camera in hand, when he heard the door open. Gavin froze. On the bed behind him, Melvin chuckled. Who's there? Just as in the stanza, driving her home, this was not the voice of a woman with enough time to be afraid. She stomped into the bedroom just as Gavin slunk into the closet, but she snapped on the lights before he could close the door. Come out of the closet! Gavin did not obey. As quietly as he could... He curled himself into the farthest corner. Charlotte said it again. Come out of the closet, freak, before you jack off onto my carpet again. On the bed, Melvin laughed. (laughs) (laughs) You're fucked, Gav! He said it with a little too much glee. His eyes glittered, his cheeks pulled in, and the ember of his cigarette burned bright. He added to a cloud of smoke. But I can save you. Gavin hesitated. I can save you if you let me. Gavin swallowed. Save me. Melvin became smoke, black smoke, thick like the smoke of wildfires, and the shape of him disappeared as it spread through the room. Gavin breathed him in and felt him in every portion of himself spread out from his lungs into his veins and into his skin and hair and brain. Black tar coated him on the inside like a thousand layers of soot inside a clay stove, and when Charlotte stormed into the closet, he was ready. He swung the camera up into to her jaw and then across her face, the two swift motions bleeding into each other as seamlessly as waves of silk fluttering on a breezy day. She was down, and she was bleeding, and Gavin stood above her, his breath steady, looking down. He brought the camera up to his face. The lens was cracked, but the shutter still worked. Thank you for sharing my nightmares and helping me carry the grief. I hope you enjoy part two of my novella, Venus and Running Shorts. Be sure to tune in next week for part three. If you can't wait until the next episode, you can listen to all three parts right now with a membership on my Patreon. It's three bucks and you can cancel at any time. You can also find Venus and Running Shorts on Amazon. I've included links for both below. If you enjoy the show, Please share your favorite nightmare with a friend or family member. Don't forget to leave a rating and remember to subscribe and turn on notifications. I'd love to connect with you on Instagram, Facebook, or threads. Just look for Nightmares and Grief and you'll find me. Thanks again for sharing this time with me. Good night.